Welcome back to the Effort of Everything podcast. I'm your host, Jay St. Cleep, and on today's episode, Gabe, MDV, and I discuss our traditional schooling system. This conversation was really sparked from a recent podcast I did with Matt Boudreaux, who's the founder of Apogee Strong and Acton Academy. If you missed that one, go back a few episodes. It was a really cool conversation about school. So we talk about that, and then it carries us into a conversation I got brought up at the gym the other day, which is, is it better to weight train and then do cardio or do cardio and then weight train? I love talking to Gabe and MDV, have known them for years, and these conversations are always fun. If you're enjoying these conversations or the Coffee with Kalipa or the guest episodes, simple ask. Leave us a rating, leave us a review, hit us up on social, let us know your thoughts, in particular Instagram, so that we could go ahead and further the conversation. I hope you, your entire crew, is doing great. Keep getting after it in the gym, get after it outside the gym, and let's dive into an incredible episode. Let's go. All right, so the guys and I, we were just talking about a variety of different things, and we just needed to start recording because I thought the conversation was flowing really well. We had um, Matt on the show from Acton Academy and Apogee Strong, and he basically, he, he made the argument that college is dead and that our school system is failing us. If you missed that episode, make sure you go back for last week and check it out. I thought it was a really eye-opening conversation. And it definitely at least at least created a conversation for my wife and I. I don't think it's going to change necessarily anything that we're doing today. But I do think that 10 years from now, things are going to be a lot different than even they are today as it is. So I th- definitely think any parent out there, go check it out. Anybody who's interested in the school system, go check it out. But we were talking about it briefly. And I think that we had some different uh, opinions on it. So Gabe, you listened to it. MDV, I don't think you've checked it out yet. But when we were talking about the fact that college is dead, you seem to think that maybe college isn't dead. So is college dead, MDV? Is it no longer applicable to real life? Um, uh, it's a very tough question to answer, I think, in an absolute. Um, yeah. I think that there is certainly worthwhile elements to the college experience, both education, educationally and experientially, for sure. I do think that a lot of the current system in which, or the current structure in which students go into college with no real direction or path, it's just an automatic, yes, I'm going to go do this and take on a massive amount of debt when they're 17 years old without realizing what it's going to do to them for the first few years after graduation or for the next X number of years after that, the rest of their lives in some cases. I think that that system is broken and corrupt in a lot of ways. Um, However, I do think that college is a strong option for people who, one, can afford it or want to experience it or want to get some sort of education, well-rounded education or more specific education. They have a clear understanding of what they're doing or they have a clear understanding of the debt that they're taking on and they they want to, to incur that. Um, However, I do think that a lot of people going into the college experience probably don't have those things figured out and they take on a lot more responsibility than they might realize early in life that might not necessarily pay off for them. So that's kind of my position in a nutshell, but I need to listen to the podcast to get a little bit more understanding. 
I think that that Matt brought up uh, a lot of really good points on on the podcast, and you know where where I think I stand. And I, again, I think that my kind of experience that I bring into this is a little bit unique for two reasons. One, I was incredibly fortunate that I found a program at a city university in New York City, so a public university that had an amazing program that allowed me to go to a good school for absolutely no cost and come out at no debt, which I think, you know, is maybe one of the luckiest things that I've ever, you know, been able to experience. And I know a lot of people don't have that, you know, that, that luck. And on the other side, you know, being the son of an immigrant family, I did also, you know, come up with the upbringing where like it's college or bus. Like to me, it was like deeply ingrained that like, you know, you have to go to school, you have to get a diploma. It's like the prerequisite to success. And I think that the interesting thing is coming out of that, I went to college, I got a degree in political science, I went to a really good school, but I mean, I don't think I've ever realistically used any of the things that I learned like in those courses, really in any way, shape or form. Now, did I, from the experience, did I learn how to work in groups and, and study and think critically? Sure. But I think that one of the things that I really like Matt brought up on the podcast with you, Jay, is there's so many other ways to get that experience. And if there's a price tag associated with learning those things, that's in the hundred thousands of dollars. I, I, I can't seem to figure out any case where that's like the best use of that money. And, and that's where I think that I maybe disagree a little bit with you, MBV, because I don't think that there's a significant group of people where that the ROI on that like does make sense, at least now, where, you know, unless you're in very specific professions, like that degree isn't a prerequisite for you to continue and be what you want to be in a lot of fields. Oh, I, I disagree there. I, I think that that's putting the cart before the horse. I, I don't. I don't think that the. I don't think that you're necessarily wrong. I just think that there are still a lot of demands, whether or not they're right or not, for jobs that might merit a certain level of pay. There are trends. There are things that are changing. But a college degree. I'm not saying this is right. Again, is still one of the things that a lot of employers will look for. I, I don't think that that has changed ultimately as a paradigm in a lot of the industries that are out there right now. I, I think that it's starting to shift a little bit more. I think that this mindset and probably rightfully so is shifting a little bit more, but I, I, I would be hesitant to say that there's no value there for people who go and uh, get their degree at a traditional four-year school. Yeah, you should definitely check out check out what he was talking about, uh, MDV. But I do think from a where I was curious from you is like, do you think can someone become a lawyer without going to law school? Is that possible? Can they educate themselves and go take the bar and go do that? Or is that not possible? I mean, you can learn anything on your own. That's that's the beauty of open resource education that's out there on the Internet and in libraries across the world. You could literally get the books and you could study and you could go and you could take the exam and uh, you wouldn't be able to practice law through self-study. Um, you need to graduate from an accredited law school to take the bar exam and then pass the bar exam to go practice law. 
Um, but you could certainly learn the content and the material on your own for sure. Yeah, I think it's a really good discussion that's going to continue to go. I mean, you know, when you guys are, are, as all of our children continue to get older, I think that things are just going to change. Like if you had told me 10 years ago that Google would have their own university now, or that, you know, YouTube could be a place where you could actually educate yourself on specific content. I, I don't know what I would have said, right? But 10 years ago, things were a lot different with college. And I think 10 years from now, things would be a lot different. But you back to your point, Gabe, I mean, same with my parents. Like my dad came from Iran and all it was was just go to school, go to school, go to school. And you can see that generation after generation, maybe there's a slight shift that's occurring. They're more open-minded to different career paths. Um, but hey, who's to know what happens 10 years from now? But I thought it was a great conversation. If you haven't checked it out, make sure you go check out that conversation with Matt. Uh, switching gears Whoa. a little bit though. Yeah. <laughs> Where are you going? This, this conversation is kind of just getting started, dude. Hold oh on. boy. Jason. I, yeah, bro, <laughs> you always want to be moving on so fast. Bro, have Chill. you not noticed? Have you Chill. not noticed? I have what they call attention problems. I'm working on it. Chill. Listen, I I I am a huge <laughs> advocate of having more education on more diverse types of education before a four-year, jumping into a four-year degree. I think that military options should be widely explored. I think vocational schools should be widely explored. I think trade schools should be widely explored because there is, and I agree uh, with Gabe on this, there is a large percentage of people that go to school that they're just going to school to go to school where they might have other interests or other desires, or it's just not a great fit for them. And I think that that kind of stuff where it's a zero sum game of when you graduate high school, the only viable path is a four year degree and everything else is nonsense. That that is nonsense completely. Um, and, you know, the school that I went to growing up, there really wasn't a ton of education as we were juniors and seniors in high school about other paths. You know, I think that that's that's a dereliction of duty for educators out there and, you know, high school uh, curriculums that they don't discuss those things more. Yeah. I think that it's also, to me, it's also like the, the, the quality of the education you're getting, you know, like Alex Harmozy, who I've been listening to a lot of his videos lately. I think he has a lot of really, really interesting things to say, had a clip that I love about the all the information. No. All the oh, information yeah. that you would need for anything is now available to you. It's all out there, right? Like it's all on the internet. You can basically learn how to do anything being self-taught. What you need though is the shortcut to the right information. So you don't kind of have to go out there and like into this ether of information and figure out how things are done. And I think the best way to learn that is from people that have figured that out through experience because they actually know, hey, this is how it was done. This is how I did it. And I think that you can get that nowadays from a lot of like private, the e-learning space, the coaching space, people that are putting out content that are really doing the thing you want to learn, where I think academia is still very stuck in like the textbook way of things being done 10 years ago. And it's just naturally, you know, a, a, a part of that beast because academia is always going to move slower than what's available on YouTube or the people that are putting out quality educational content via the internet because curriculums and courses at these big universities, there's a lot of red tape that you have to go through to change that stuff. So I think that stuff is always naturally going to be 
you know, five, 10 years behind to what you can get from people that are doing the thing that you want to learn how to do now. And I think that that, to me, makes it seem even more ridiculous that, you know, if you can do the research and find the person that has this coding course or this crypto course or this management course that is online versus getting a degree from a university on those topics, some of which are relevant topics now that universities don't even offer at a price tag that is, you know, $40,000 a year. Well, I, I kind of think that there's an access issue there. I, I think that there's an access issue because it's very, it's difficult to find people who do these things, who you can trust the things that they're saying. How do you ultimately, one of the things that is a positive, I'm, I'm not saying that this is a, a, like an, uh, this is ultimately guaranteed when you go to college, but you're going to something that's accredited. You're going to something that has an approval process for the there's material a that they're going to teach. Of some type, right? For that teacher, like there's some type of vetting system no, for that information you're receiving, not, right? Yeah, yeah. The the vetting and the vetting of the information, and it's you know obviously there's slants and biases of things that get taught and all this kind of stuff that goes on, but that also exists in individual education as well. So you know, I I I disagree with you a little bit there, Gabe. Like I think that you know, in terms of the education that I got when I went to a state university, and then I went to law school after that, I made the education what I wanted it to be. I enjoyed nearly every course that I took. I enjoyed the interaction with the students and the professors and enjoyed really diving into the materials and the texts. I knew that I wanted to go on to the secondary education and I provided myself with an education in undergrad that would set me up for success in that. I took history, sociology, and I wanted to explore uh, living abroad. So I, I, I continued my Spanish education. Those two majors really helped me in figuring out whether or not I could hack the amount of reading and pro information processing that I was going to have to do in, in law school. And that was something that was valuable for me. And I think the law school discussion is a little bit different. Um, but, you know, I, we don't have in, in our current society either another viable, widely available rite of passage. I hope that at some point it's developed, that it, it is an option that stands next to the college experience for people and is looked at as being equally, quote unquote, respectable. And when you go through that experience, you come out and you have the chops on your resume that people will look at you and go, oh, wow, this is really great that you did this. But that I don't think that that exists right now. I mean, I, I disagree. I think it does. I think Where? it does. I think it you're exists. Get education from YouTube and you're going to go try and get a job? No, I think that university, baby. I think that what you do with that education is, is, is doing the thing. And this is what I love that Matt brought up is if we're saying that it's okay to either during high school or right after high school, go out and literally try and start a business in what you are passionate about. I think that there are so many resumes now that come through any company that you want to come in that have the degree from X place that I think that what would set people apart is saying, Hey, I tried to do this for two years. Here's the success that I had. Here's what I learned. And now I want to bring this to this company. And I think that it's normalizing the fact that it's less about it being another system, another centralized system that stands eye to eye with the college system. It's more of 
like normalizing the fact that there's a lot of different ways to get the same quote unquote education you get from college. And it's more about now, it's more about being unique in the job market than having the same thing everyone else has. I, I think, I, and I think it's, I take a different stance on that, I think, but we can disagree. Yeah, well, no, I, for I, sure. I, I mean, I, I, I think it's great about it, right? For sure. I mean, I, you know, I think that this is a, a, a problem that needs a solution and we're definitely not the, 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 the most expert in, in finding oh, out no. what that solution is. Um, but I, I do think that what is beneficial, and I think we can all agree on this, is just normalizing the fact that there are options. There is one size fits all for everyone. And I think we're already moving away from that. And I think that that's great. And I think conversations like the one Jason had with Matt and kind of what they're doing with, with Acton Academy and, and their schools is a great like inspirational step in the right direction because it just it, it, it's good to have another option. It doesn't make sense that everyone should fit into this like mold of this is how you're developed into a productive member of society. Let me ask you a question about, was it Acton Academy? Yeah, yeah. And he made a, go ahead. So is it a, is it a place that you have to pay to go to? Do you have to pay to go so, there? Yeah. So, so Do you one, graduate with some sort of credential from going there? That's right. So well, why doesn't he just put the education out online for free and let everybody experience it? Well, their, their model is different. So they don't have traditional grade system. Their, their model is, is very unique. And, and again, you just have to hear about it because they place everybody, you know, one of the statements that he said that I found to be, I mean, obviously it was like a little bit polarizing, but it was that the traditional school system most resembles our prison system. Like out of all things in, 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 in society, those two have the most similarities, meaning Hey, teacher, I need to go to the restroom. I'm going to go here. Then I'm going to go here. Then I'm being told here. And his model is a little bit different, right? So what he's saying is, hey, someone graduates from high school, and then all of a sudden they're supposed to go out in the, into, the, into the real world or go to college. And now all of a sudden they went from having to ask permission to use the restroom to now having to basically be on their own. And his model prepares them better by starting businesses, doing different things. And instead of looking at like, okay, first grade, second grade, third grade, you could blend people and then they can move forward as their skills develop versus saying, oh, well, you're at this point, you need to stay in this grade or you can go to this grade. It was, it was a very eye-opening conversation in, 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 in that sense, I'd say. Like, look at Ava. Like, for example, like I just told you guys, like she's learning all the states and the capitals. And then maybe next time she'll learn something else. And I am curious, like, how much did I learn and consume all throughout my years of school that that information wasn't relevant? Um, now, I'm, there's also lessons learned, right? Learning how to memorize, learning how to be a part of a class, all those different things. But it does make you question the fact of, is that for all these years you're consuming information, you're learning different things, how much of that actually carries over as you progress forward? That, that's, that's the conversation. And MDVT, you know, to, to what you were starting to get at there, which is, you know, why doesn't Acton just put out their curriculum, like their solution out for everyone to have that education? I think it's, it, it's not something that you could put out because their whole approach is that everyone is an individual that has individual interests. And therefore, there's one specific way that you can kind of grow that skill set and do what you want to do. And I think there isn't that structure currently in any of academia because you go in and there's a major you have to pick and there's a certain 
level of majors. And then once you pick that major, there's courses within that major that you have to do. And yes, how does, you can it, get how does it work at scale though? How, how does it, how does it work at scale for something like that? Once I think the it's, num once I, the numbers get big enough, you're going to have the same issues. I think it's just, it's a shift in how we view that people can get an education that allows them to further their skill set and like their contribution to society. You know, one example, and I'm not sure if this is the best analogy, but I think it's kind of relevant. In early 2020, so before the pandemic kind of changed a lot of things for us, I was very, very seriously considering business school. And I thought that it made sense. Like I was really happy with where I was at NC Fit and wanted to kind of grow my role there. And it just, it seemed to make sense that if I could find a program and I was looking at UCLA and USC, I was specifically looking at part-time programs where I would be able to continue to work in the office that we eventually had in San Diego and like go to like a Saturday course and get my MBA at one of those two schools. And I started studying for my GMAT. I was like, this was my plan. COVID hit, threw a wrench in everything, obviously, and that just kind of didn't become an option in that plan. And at the same time, because of COVID and just kind of because of a lot of things that were popping up, I got super into sports cards from following Gary Vee and like dove into that world like head first. The amount that I've learned in two years through that, that has taken me to like flipping sports cards, flipping Pokemon cards, and now the NFT world, I think is so incredibly valuable. And I think that now I know more than most about something that I think is going to be a huge part about how we do marketing and how businesses like just do everything that they do in the future. And I'm, I'm, I'm super confident on that. And that was just more the serendipity of events that transpired. But I think back on that, and I think it's just interesting how all of that was 100% free and 100% me like diving into a lot of resources that were out there. And I think I learned a lot of very hard skills for free that I think impossible to say because I ended up not going to business school that may be more relevant or just as relevant as whatever I would have learned by getting a degree from either of those schools, I think. Yeah, you, I get it. You think that, but that's all. It's a tough argument to make on the other side as well because there's probably hundreds of thousands of people who might have done the same thing as you, but maybe lost it all or made bad bets or didn't study as much as you did or didn't learn as much as you did or, you know, just decided that, hey, I'm going to sit on my couch and eat Cheetos and, you know, try to flip NFTs and it's not working out. I'm not saying that I'm, listen, you can certainly get an education in that and you can take it seriously and you can do really well in that. But that's not to say that an MBA would be less, it's, it's, it's apples and oranges. They're very, very, very tough to compare. The value of an MBA degree is not only just the education that you're going to go get, but you're getting this networking opportunity with all of these peers and all of these companies. And yes, it's a more traditional route, but that's essentially what people are paying for there. You wouldn't take your Pokemon experience to go and get the type of job that you would get at whatever investment bank, if that was the career path that you wanted to follow, they're, they're, they're very different paths and they're great viable paths for people who want to have them, but they're very hard to compare. I think, yes, they're very hard to compare, but I think that one is seen as one is seen as not the, the lesser than the other, but 
I, I, trying to think I, of I, agree word. I, yeah. I would agree with you that people would value the MBA higher than they would value three years of self-study in flipping nostalgia. 100%. Even the way that I'm saying it, I would look at those two and I'd be like, oh, this person got an MBA from Wharton Business School and this person over here did this for three years. I would I would go, okay, I probably want to talk to this person first. But I'm not that's saying that that's... But but the comparison isn't like having an MBA an MBA from this college and hey I self learned this thing I think what I would put as the comparison that I think is a lot more equal than you're making it out to be is hey having an MBA from this school or being like hey I can come to your company and help you run a successful NFT project launch because I understand the space and it's going to bring a lot more value to you and have your business be leading in what I think is going to be the expectation of marketing moving forward. And you and for you to be able to say that confidently and have the chops to back that up. I think that's the comparison. And I think that's incredibly more even than like you're making it out to be, which is the traditional argument. I get it, but it's not flipping Pokemon cards for three years. It's being able to now say, hey, I understand this thing that a lot of people don't that I think is where the future is going. Well, then you also have the you're placing a value judgment on this technology, this new currency technology, right? And you're saying that, hey, I I went this untraditional or non-traditional route and I learned this thing. But you have to they have to have belief on the other side of the equation. Like I wouldn't bring my law degree to, you know, whatever NFT business out there and be like, hey, listen, like I really understand this aspect of education and, you know, I'm going to bring my, my talents over to you guys, unless they were looking for somebody who went to law school and graduated and understands the law. I think that that also plays a big part in it. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think so by the way, I know I've been kind of like sitting on the sideline here. I think that it's interesting because you guys come to it. I, I would say that MDV favors uh, a little bit more of the traditional do you no, favor? no, Jason, you put words in my mouth all the time. You stop <laughs> I mean, it sounds like you favor no, education. I fa no, no, no. I favor what's best for the person who's going into this pursuit. Mm. That's what I favor. And it works for some people. A four-year degree works. It really does. But it's not for everybody. It's not for right. a lot of people. But I think that the options, and I, this is where I agree with Gabe, we have to start getting things on more equal footing that, yeah, a four-year degree is great, but also, hey, this self-study program that I did to learn all about X, Y, or Z is great, or this vocational school, or this trade school, or this military experience that I got. Those things, yes, should be on equal footing in terms of like the barrier to entry. Now, maybe one's a little bit higher because you're going into a more traditional business and they're going to say, hey, listen, we value this. We bias this a little bit more. Or you go into a non-traditional business and they value your, your other education a little bit more. That's what I'm saying. You know, I did find interesting, and this is something that relates to our business, is that Matt was saying that their school size uh, caps out at 200 uh, students, which I found to be interesting because he was saying that to create a culture in a community, you can't grow more than 200 students. I found that to be interesting compared to the gym model, where if you're looking at, like, let's just say, uh, I, I don't know, uh, uh, a uh, traditional gym model, like a 24 hour fitness, and they have thousands of members, they're not going to develop the same community as a small boutique fitness center that that 200 numbers pretty much where you want to go two, 300. I found that to be interesting that he's saying the exact same thing, but from an education perspective.
Well, he's working off of dumb, uh, a loose interpretation of Dunbar's number, which is yeah. 150, 150 relationships that you can have before they become attenuated. And it's, I don't know what the proof is behind it, but it's fairly common knowledge that that's like the rule. Yeah. Hey, by the way, I do see myself, I do say sometimes like, so MDV, what you're saying is I got to stop doing that. I'm yeah, sorry. you do it all the time. I know. I'm sorry. I'm calling <laughs> myself out on this one. This is me saying I do it too often and I'm sorry. That's my fault. <laughs> I know. Again, every time I do it, I owe like 10 burpees or something like that. <laughs> maybe not 10, maybe like a hundred. Oh man, that's too good. Did you guys want to talk about uh, uh, the strength training before uh, before the Metcon, or what did you guys want to discuss? I know we went off for a while on education, which I it's, think was it, a cool conversation. It's an interesting topic, though. And I, I, at the end of the just to kind of, I don't know, tie, tie a bow on it, I, I, I agree with MDB that it's just – it's about setting different options on equal footing and not having one seem like it's the – end all be all for everyone, because not everyone's going to learn the same way. Not everyone's going to be able to grow the same way. And I think that that's the important thing. Um, I think whether college is good for most people or not most people, I think that that's maybe where we disagree a little bit, but again, you know, that's my opinion and, and just my opinion. So, Yeah. I, would, I mean, I would need to see some more numbers or, or have a better understanding of like how many people from I mean, I think how many people from high school are going directly into college, it's probably a very high percentage just based on that. And I would say that it's probably too high, way too high. There should be other options for people. Um, for sure. That Yeah. Especially with how much school costs, right? I mean, you know, like I was fortunate that I got a similar situation, um, you know, to get, well, my situation was a little bit different, but. I went to a you know junior college for a couple of years and then I went to for two years and then I went to a four-year university for two years and I was able to get it at a really affordable price. My mom actually ended up working there. But I mean, if I hadn't, I would have came out of school with a uh, hundred thousand, I think in debt um, from those two years, it was 50,000 a year. That's a lot of money um, for, for, for school, right? And you're kind of starting off almost treading water, right? Because you're, you're starting off with this additional debt Whereas, you know, if someone had given you a hundred thousand dollars and you could have used it for a degree or a hundred thousand dollars or two hundred thousand dollars and used it for other things, I think that's a really important conversation that every family needs to be having um, as they're saving up for their kids' college um, or, or, or the individual, right? Well, the lending system, I mean, it's a whole nother different discussion because the lend, not a lot of people are walking around liquid with you know, a hundred thousand or $150,000 in which they can just dote onto their kids to say, Hey, you know, go and spend this on your college. A lot of kids and then parents are co-signing on loans at the age of 18, 17 for a massive amount of money that, that, and you would never lend. And this is an, maybe another issue in the system, but a bank would probably never traditionally lend somebody who came into the, the walls of their institution. If Gabe walked in and was like, Hey, I just graduated from, from high school. And, you know, I have this really great vision that I want to be the next NFT master. And, you know, I'm going to study really hard and I, I need a hundred thousand dollars to go and fund this education. They would laugh you out of the building like that. It's not going to happen. Right. But in the uh, traditional university setting, that's like guaranteed. You're putting your life on the line is like guaranteed collateral. Essentially. It's like, you can't get out of this debt. If you go bankrupt, 
you can't go out of this debt sometimes. I think the only way the debt ex gets extinguished is if you die. That's Wait, it. You, if, you, if you file bankruptcy, you can't get out of your student loans? Student no. loan does not go away. Isn't that crazy? What? It's, it's the only type of debt. Yeah. It's the only type of debt that doesn't go away with bankruptcy? They dock. I, I, I'm, I'm not sure about this, but I've heard that they dock. You can get your Social Security docked for a student loan education that you haven't paid off yet. Oh, you mean when you're like 65 years old and you're in retirement? What? Yes. Oh my gosh. Someone needs I, to fact I, check that, but. No, I heard that too. I, I heard that too. Cause I remember like sharing it with someone. Cause I remember being like, this can't be real. But yeah, I, I heard that too. Hey, MDV, you studied abroad, didn't you? Yes. I studied in Valencia, Spain. And how long were you gone for? Like six months? About six months. Dude, that's one thing that I wish I had that, that see, that's an example of a college experience that I didn't take advantage of. And I wish I did. I, I imagine that there were so many life lessons there. Um, that's, that's hey, in the next life, right? That's the one thing I, I didn't do. Ashley and I, we didn't study abroad. I wish I had though. That would have been a really cool experience. Yeah, it was a great experience. I think a lot of people also get that experience by backpacking after they graduate high school, right? And they go off and they um, are able to travel or go and live somewhere. Um, and which is, I also think is a fantastic route for some people to go and experience another culture, to live a different way, or to not jump right into four years more of just, hey, sit in this classroom and, and learn stuff. Um, and who knows, maybe if my options were presented a little bit different when I graduated high school, I would have been singing a different tune or, or gone a different route. Gabe, you didn't study abroad, did you? I didn't. At the time, I couldn't. Uh, so the program I was in actually had a really cool study abroad like option that you could take, but I couldn't travel outside the U.S. at the time. Uh, yeah. So I couldn't take advantage of it. I would have loved to. Well, gentlemen, look, we're uh – half an hour in i mean i i, I think the conversation is really interesting did you guys want to touch base on um the strength before metcon or metcon before strength or did you guys want to save that for another longer conversation oh uh, we can touch on it if you want yeah i mean basically one of the reasons why i found this to be interesting is that i was um talking to some people yesterday and one of the topics was brought up about especially in our NCX program is pretty traditional. It's a little bit more traditional strength conditioning. And it, for the most part, focuses on like, let's just say push press five by five, and then into a workout that incorporates push press at some, we generally go with the strength piece and then into some type of conditioning style workout. And I was receiving feedback from this gentleman saying, hey, they love the programming. They love the kind of like consistent consistency of it, the, the ability to kind of like get better at these movements and the carryover that it had to his golf game in particular, the gentleman I was talking to. And what I found to be interesting was as I was taking class, it's nice because you're overloading the position in, let's just say I was using the push press as an example. Then we went into the workout and we used dumbbells on a push press. The weight felt lighter. The movements felt better. I had developed some skill in the strength and then got into the workout. But is that the only way to train it? Should we train strength and then get into a Metcon or a conditioning piece or vice versa. And what are the reasons why NC fit? We generally do it with the strength and then a Metcon. So that's the topic. Yeah. Um, so you're right. We generally will do, if we are going to do a strength, like in our NCX program, then followed by a conditioning workout 
or in our NC Metcom program, when we see strength or skill, a lot of times it's programmed before the conditioning piece. We do offer on occasion post-workout strength where you will have the conditioning element first, and then you have the strength portion afterwards. But for the most part, we do it strength and then and then Metcon when it's programmed like that. Um, our reasoning is that we have the general warm-up, which will get people limber, move through a full range of motion and prepare them for the movements that are going to come next. After that, we're moving into a teaching portion of the class. We're going to go over the different skill that we might necessarily be covering. We want to give people some time to build up to the load that they're going to get to for the movement in the strength portion that day. And we found that this sequence allows people to be warm, take some lighter load onto their body, progress into moderate or moderate heavy loads as they're moving up. And let's say we're doing a movement like an overhead press. Jason's right. After we're done with that, we've already primed the pathway for what we're going to do in the conditioning workout, which might include something going overhead. It will usually include something going overhead. And you have a kind of neurological feel that the weight that you have on your body now is lighter and you can move through that range of motion a bit easier. One of the other reasons we like that is during the conditioning workouts, you know, we do ask athletes to give significant amount of intensity and that's both aerobic at points and anaerobic intensity at points generally gpp is more aerobic but we want people to not be when they're doing their strength sessions so exhausted by the aerobic stimulus like if you had done a crazy conditioning workout first and then you're going to go lift you know with the push press or something afterwards it's going to be harder it could be harder for you be breathing heavier. It's going to take you longer to recover. You, pr you might have more uh, muscular exhaustion. So we put it first. We allow you to recover to come down from the strength session. You still have a lot of aerobic capacity left to go and attack the conditioning workout. And that's how we do it. I know that there's differences of opinion in which, and Gabe will kind of highlight this, I'm sure, where you have you know, people that will say the strength portion should be last in order to go directly into recovery afterwards to allow yourself to fully get the benefit of that strength session, etc. But I, I, I would be interested to see because we're coupling these so close together, right? You're doing a push press and then minutes later, 10, 15 minutes later, you're into a conditioning workout. Is there really a huge negative impact there from you know, the, the, the muscular perspective of not getting the adequate recovery that you would need, but that's just the long-winded answer. Yeah. I think it all depends on people's specific goals, obviously, as all this stuff does. Um, and also like, you know, something that we always come back to, which is, you know, we're not just looking at what is the best training in a vacuum that the studies show, so on and so forth. But like, how do we create an experience that is as positive as possible for people while still making sure that, yes, we're getting results. We don't want to completely disregard the fact that results are important, but there has to be a balance of the two, right? Like we always talk about it's programming with a for-profit gym in mind. At the end of the day, we want people to have an amazing time so that they continue to come in and bring their friends to come in as well. So I think that's important too, because what I had brought up before we hit record was, you know, Peter Atia, Lane Norton, those tend to be like two Instagram personalities that, you know, put out a lot of content specifically about training 
an exercise that is like, you know, very to the T, like what does the science say, right? Like what's going to get you stronger, fitter, help you with longevity. And, you know, they tend to train in these ways. But I think that the people that are disciplined enough and have the flexibility to like do the perfect training is very few. And that's not really who we're appealing to. We want, you know, the, the, the vast majority of people to be able to come in and stay consistent. But essentially what their argument boils down to and what MDV kind of alluded to is this, this thinking that, you know, in order to get stronger, to really maximize the stimulus you can get from a strength session, you shouldn't be doing any training immediately after. So if you do your five by five heavy push press, and then you go into some dumbbell push press and a Metcon, you're essentially diminishing the returns you can get from that strength portion. Now, how much are you diminishing? And again, is that worth changing up the experience to a point that, you know, people just aren't going to enjoy as much that I don't know, but that's kind of the devil's advocate that these guys tend to put out there a lot. But I think it, it, it I still, you know, there, there's a good reason behind why we do it the way we do it, obviously. I just wanted to add, go ahead, MVP. No, no, you can go. I just wanted to add, like, there's also a, a psychological component here that I think is important to talk about. Like, for me, I've been training for a lot of years. And if we're doing, just like you guys, if you're doing a class environment, it's one thing, right? I think the warm-up in a strength work, in a Metcon, in a finish, I think personally flows the best in a class. So if I'm running a for-profit, best experience possible, I personally think that flows better than warm-up, hit a Metcon, bring it back down, raise it back up again with strength work and then call it a day. I don't know. For some reason, I just feel like when the class ends on that bang of a, of a kind of a higher intensity workout, I think they leave feeling more satisfied. That's just my opinion though. But then there's also something about the psychological side about when I was training for the CrossFit games and I had all the time in the world or within reason, right? And you set up like, let's just say a two hour block in the middle of the day to really train. I found myself more times than not. Yes. I would sometimes lift under fatigue, because I wanted to train that modality for when I was at the CrossFit Games and I had to go for a heavy clean and jerk and I was already fatigued. So yes, of course I would train those things at the end of my training session, but it would always be something like I would dread doing. Meaning like from a psychological perspective, I liked getting in, warming up, lifting heavy, just like, let me get it out of the way. Like, let me really be focused and present on that and really put in my 100% effort. And then on the workout, I'm of course going to put my best effort as well. But for some reason, with a lighter, moderate load, it's easier for me psychologically to attack it than when I'm going for like a one rep max on a regular basis or heavy fives consistently after another workout. I, I think every now and then, of course, we incorporate it because I was trying to win the sport of fitness. But there's something psychologically for me that I feel like it's easier to stay more consistent to stay more motivated to lift heavy prior to the workout, if that makes sense. And that's ultimately what we're looking for is consistency over time. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with you. I think that you're mentally and physically there. You know, it, you do a really tough 10 to 15 to 20 minute workout. You can be mentally and physically exhausted after that. And, you know, we do sometimes test skills and you know, moderate heavy, we're not usually asking people to go ridiculously heavy in a post-workout strength environment. We do sometimes test skills and some strength after, but there's also been times that we've gotten feedback from the athletes to go, hey, why, 
why did you do it this way this one time? Because I, I wasn't prepared to do any sort of strict pulling or, or muscle up work or any sort of deadlift pulling after I had already done this, um, you know, quote unquote, uh, metabolic conditioning workout. So the, the, I think the athletes also enjoy hitting those elements fresh. Because if you have all of your strength and awareness, therefore, you're going to practice a strict muscle up. Most athletes want to give their best effort there. They don't want to be pre-exhausted for that. Same deal if you're going to go for a, a heavy triple push press. They want to be able to say, oh, hey, I had everything that I got today into the barbell and not be like, well, you know what happened? I had did this 20-minute workout first, and then we did the three afterwards, and I was kind of feeling funky. So I think like, both psychologically and then physically as well, you, you definitely see the argument there. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know the gentleman that you're referring to, Gabe, and I, I could understand that there might be a, some, you know, I don't know, some benefits to strength training than immediately just stopping all movement. But I think that, um, I, I don't know. I, I think that from my perspective, incorporating the strength prior to a conditioning uh, Metcon, I think works really well. Now, also something to note is that if we're talking about pure strength gains and like hypertrophy and muscle breakdown, there is something to be said about lifting heavy and then getting into a conditioning piece that also incorporates an external load versus just doing heavy lifting and then only doing cardio. So I don't know if the gentlemen you're referring to are saying strength and then cardio, whereas would you consider a 20 minute EMOM of clean and jerks and rowing, a strength workout, a conditioning workout or a blend and what would their perspective be on that? Because you're going from strength heavy to still incorporating some level of strength in your workout in general, in general. So I don't know if that makes a difference in how they would feel about your muscle recovery. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's really interesting. The, the exercise, like the science of exercise science is something that I've been getting into a little bit more lately with some of these, you know, podcasts and, and people that I follow. And it's just fascinating, man, because it's one of those things that the the more you you start learning, the more you realize that there's so much out there to learn. Um, so it's it's interesting stuff. I have a question. Do you think that there's too much out there to learn, or having too much awareness? No, I'm being serious. I had a yeah, yeah. I have a discussion with uh, with somebody else earlier today about this, where it's like, do you think that back in like the Middle Ages, like this guy who was training for battle, like really cared how, like how many times he swung his sword and whether or not he like picked up some additional stuff before he did that, that day to like train for battle. Like, you know, he was just trying to be deadly and strong and big so that he could go and, you know, pillage and conquer. But like, you know, I, I kind of think that sometimes we go down this path of like, everything needs to be so scientifically driven that we we put ourselves into this corner where we go like, well, what about just like getting in there and doing the work and then feeling the exercise and like leaving the gym? Yeah, I think you have to, I think what it comes down to is you have to be as specific as specific your goals are, right? So for people that just want to like look better, feel better, enjoy exercise, like, no, I don't think it benefits you to like see what the exact tempo percentage, how much rest, what your order should be, so on and so forth. Same way with nutrition, like there are some over kind of encompassing principles that you should follow for longevity. But if you're training for, 
you know, a bodybuilding show, then you need to know your macros down to the gram and be super specific about it. Um, but I, I, yeah, I mean, I do think that with so much information out there, people tend to, you know, I think you like to say this, like major in the minors, right. Where they're just like, so like into the supplement and the specific program that they need to follow instead of just like, dude, just, are you going to the gym five to six times a day? And are you being consistent? doesn't matter what you're doing. Just go. Um, you make sure you go to the gym five to six times a day is what you said. <laughs> going five to six times a day, you're not reaching your max potential. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, I think that for me, it's been like an interesting evolution to where now I just kind of want to learn more because I've, I know that I need to work out five to six times a week and I'm, I'm doing that already. So it's kind of like squeezing out the last little bit or just kind of learning more and discovering more in a space that I'm, I'm super passionate about. But I do think a lot of people get tripped up because and there's so much media helps this, uh, you know, MDV to your point, like, uh, of like all these different is there, it's like, if you go on social media, you have so many different personalities that are sharing insight, right? Like, for example, I, I was looking at liver King, he's going to be out there doing his thing. And then you got knees over toes guy. And then you got this guy and that guy. And what I think a lot of it boils down to though, is that there's like little hacks here and there, but there's also just like fundamental concepts like get sunlight early, cold exposure, all these different things that I've personally been intrigued by. And I think that's maybe why there is an information overload definitely in the space right now, but it's also because I'm kind of gravitating towards it as well, right? Where I'm very curious, but I think a lot of it just is going back to like, like you said, like the old school caveman, like did they really worry about all these things? No, because they're probably already doing it. They're probably already, you know, uh, you know, doing these kind of like paleoific style that I think that's probably why there's been so much more attention on now is because we've gotten so sedentary and so Western modernized where we kind of need to go back into these ways. Well, a lot of people out there too, when they're like very specific about something, they have a gimmick. They're selling you something as well. Like I, I, I think the liver King has a lot of interesting <laughs> stuff that he does, but yes. you know, he stuff in New York MDV. Oh dude, they're yeah. out of control. He's insane. He's, He's insane. I can't imagine being like a New Yorker around that and just being so like, fuck is this guy? Yeah. Here? Well, I mean, you probably see like in when you're walking to New York City, if you're a New Yorker, like you know, like you'll see some crazy shit and you'll just be like, you'll just keep walking. Like you're oh, yeah. you won't even yeah. look. And like if you're a tourist, you'll definitely be like, you'll look over there. But um I'm not saying that they have bad intentions with what they're trying to share, but they're also sharing their specific angle on things that is very, very very finite and very like laser focused on like this one thing, like, you know, the liver King sells ancestral supplements and then knees over toes guys has his, uh, ATG method. And like, I think that it's fine, but like, as the person who's looking at this stuff, you can't just constantly be distracted by like the new shiny thing. Like you have to understand that there are for the average person out there, there's major concepts in fitness, health and nutrition that you should understand in order to optimize your life to a point that you look the way that you want to look, you feel the way that you want to feel, and you're able to do the things that you want to do. And that should, in my opinion, be the point of fitness for a lot of people who don't have this hyper-specific goal of, I want to get X number on the bench press, or I want to get uh, X time on my marathon. You know, if you're just going into the gym because you want to live freely and fully outside of the gym, I, I think that the specificity of some of the stuff matters less. The general concepts matter much more. 
Hundred percent. Hey, random question for you, NDV. There is no. Is there a worm guard in no gi jujitsu? Have you a worm guard? No, I haven't yeah. heard. I haven't heard of worm guard yet. No. Yeah. Then there, then there, then there probably isn't. Yeah. A worm guard is you use the lapel of a of a of a gi to basically go underneath both of the individual's legs. Um, I was working at yesterday. It was just fresh on my mind. And Are you actually grabbing the lapel? Any yeah. anytime that there's any sort of clothing grab, it doesn't translate directly to no gi jujitsu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In this particular case, I don't see how you could possibly have one. Uh, some people listening are probably jujitsu practitioners. Be like, dude, Jason, you're out of your mind. Of course there isn't. But I, I didn't know. I've, I, I've never, I've never heard of it in no gi. But I thought I was, I was just curious. I'm going to train with the jujitsu guys here in a little bit, and uh, Ooh, I'll definitely ask the pros. The belly of the beast. The uh, well, yeah, I'm, I'm actually, I'm training them at NC Fit, and then um, I'm sure I'll, I'll do some with them as well. Cool. Uh, so, dude, yeah, hey, I, I, I always love talking to you guys. Again, MDV, I gotta stop putting words in your mouth. It's something I gotta work on. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go eat some soap. Um, hey, uh, <laughs> so what is uh, any final thoughts here before we wrap up for this week's uh, episode? Well, I appreciate what you what you try to do when 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 you do those wrap ups because I think that you try to like summarize the point in like a really succinct way. <laughs> but just just speaking personally, like when we go have these discussions, like it feels sometimes like you're trying to like put what your take is on what I'm saying out there. I don't know. Who cares? Yeah. It doesn't much matter. We make in, our point. We have a lot of matters. Fun. Intent matters. There's a positive intent behind it, but the delivery is you're trying to summarize. I'm trying to summarize. And then it comes off. Like I'm putting words in your mouth. That's not the intention. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I actually, I'm, I'm taking a full week off from lifting weights this week. I haven't lifted any weights whatsoever. No weight weighted exercises this week um just felt like i was getting a little beat up some of my joints were starting to hurt um i was feeling a little bit fatigued and i i mean i don't look any different i don't weigh any different this is thursday uh monday tuesday wednesday thursday so we'll see what happens <laughs> all right fair enough then yeah, all body weight for a week that's cool man i'm 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 curious well, I know you don't have these things, but I'm, I, I'd be curious if there was any correlation with like <clears throat> stuff like HRB and stuff prior to, to feeling, you know, a little beat up and, and kind of after a week off. Mm, like the um, whoop, if, you, if your strain score was high, like on a whoop. Yeah, because I know we've talked about this before, and I, I agree with MVB mostly on the fact that people get so fixated and wrapped up in the numbers. But I feel like when you, someone that's pretty in tune with your body, really does feel like the need for something like that. I'm curious if that would kind of show up in, in one of those things. Um, no real last thoughts for me aside from I, I gave Jay a hard time on social media yesterday. I'm still waiting for, for the video of him getting in that cold plunge. Can't wait to, to hear the, the recap on how that feels. Um, but other than that, man, these conversations, always a great time. Dude, I got, I got the formula down. I talked to cold, uh, the, the plunge place. I, 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 I talked to cold plunge. They gave me a formula. I'm going to start off and I, I will report back. I promise. What temperature did they recommend? They recommend starting off in, in like the fifties okay. and then, and then slowly bringing your way back down. Okay. Um, very similar to what you were talking about on the last episode, just about, you know, you, you don't want to have like this hate relationship towards it. Um, I'm really excited about it. And so I'll keep you guys posted. Um, also, you know, shout out to MDV and last port coffee. Uh, for those of you who are in the coffee space, I, uh, I throw out my coffee with Kalipas every Monday. 
But if you're in the coffee space, if you're looking for something, don't purchase the decaf. Always get caffeinated. Oh, uh, <laughs> we don't have the decaf yet, but four oh. other roasts. Hey, well, go check out Last Four Coffee and uh, make sure you check out Woodside Ranch. That's where Gabe is uh, raising a bunch of animals and doing farm stuff. So, uh, gentlemen, I hope you guys have a great day. Everybody who's listening, I really appreciate you guys. Hope you have a great day and uh, keep getting after it. Mm-hmm.